Hello? Hello, this is Aaron speaking. Hey, Aaron, this is Adam. <laughs> hey, Adam, how you doing? Good, good. Uh, my co-host, Brian Armitage, is here with me. Okay, good. Well, <clears throat> let me turn off a fan, because uh, I want you to hear what this sounds like without any background noise. <clears throat> I was just going to say, your phone is actually got a really good noise canceling, so if you're hot and you want to run that fan, you can, because we didn't oh, hear good. it. Oh, good. Okay, great. So go ahead and run that. Okay, would you like me to run audio at my end and send you that audio? Uh, for what? Uh, in case you want a um, high-fidelity uh, track to, uh, uh, to replace the track that you're getting from me uh, the, the, over the line. Oh, 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 you mean you want to record the whole thing? Uh, you could. It would be hard to uh, edit in, I think. Okay. Yeah, normally what, normally what I do uh, with folks is, uh, is they have the whole recording. Obviously, you have it in, on sure. one take. I record it in one yeah. take. You stripe it. Um, what I've got, you go ahead and put it on yours before you edit it. And that way you're not editing pieces. Yeah, I could do that after the show. Uh, if you're willing yeah. to record it, that'd be okay. great. Okay, yeah, it's just another track. Who knows? Uh, you might get a dropout or a glitch or whatever at your end, and it'll just give you a backup, if not a higher quality. Uh, <laughs> I love track. that you're a sound engineer. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've been uh, I've been recording phone calls ever since ever since I was uh, twelve, and I was spying on my sister. <laughs> no, this is Brian uh, Armitage. How you doing? Hey, Brian. How are you? Good. Glad to glad to meet. You. Nice to meet you. So, what's funny is when I was about twelve, we used to do similar things. We made phone taps, and we'd go connect to the outsides of houses, or if we got into buildings, we'd jump on the main main uh, boards. And I, at one point, decided that I wanted to have hold music, so I wired my stereo system into the phone lines, uh, not nice. taking into account the uh, differences in kind of power that could be sustained. And uh, within about five minutes of doing that, nobody in my neighborhood had phone service. Yes, I did, the, I did something very similar. Um, I left my little wired-up contraption under my bed one day when I went to school, uh, so that it would capture whatever I missed while I was gone. And um, uh, my when I got home from school, my parents told me that the phone company came over to find out what was wrong with our phone lines, and they found my wiretap under my bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, impedance was um, uh, very difficult to understand back then. I still don't understand it, but it's, it's there. <laughs> Well, we're just waiting for Mark, uh, but while we're waiting, I want to run by, uh, run a couple things by you, just so you kind of know what we're going to do. Okay. Um, so, we run the show and semi... Just play by ear. I like, what, I like what you did. That's perfect. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So, uh, and then after the What's in the Juke segment, which will largely consist of your participation, I think... Uh, we should make Aaron an honorary judge uh, because these guys aren't going to know who's singing what. So. Okay. <laughs> but I have all the clips queued up for all those songs. So we're ready to go. And we'll just play, you know, we'll play a little bit more than we normally do because we're not going to get flagged by Universal or whoever else. Your channel right. might alert you that we've been stealing your music. <laughs> Actually, I think somebody just sends me a check every once in a while. <laughs> okay. Uh, is a dollar okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It's not a big check. It's like every three months, I think I get $10 from CD Baby or something. 
I love, uh, I, I see you have two channels. You, uh, you have your, the rock of fire channel, which I'm subscribed to. And then there is this other channel, the rock of fire explosion show tapes, which I assume is you. You know, that's not me. That's somebody else that was putting that up. And I've just kind of, you know, turned a, turned an eye away from it just to let it happen. But it's not actually me. They're fantastic. Pardon me? They're fantastic recordings. Yeah. You know, somebody's, they're working on this stuff. The fans are really into it. And, and I, I try to um, stay out of the way of, of the well-meaning stuff. And yeah. uh, I get involved in copyright abuse when, when they're taking my business away, but not when they're uh, really promoting the art and the history of things. So um, it's, it's kind of a hard thing I have to play being the creator, the artist, and then also the the guy who has to bring down the hammer for copyrights. Yeah. And um, usually it's only the well, haters who uh, who I have to do battle with. I actually do have a lot of haters out there. I won't talk about them tonight, though. Yeah, we'll keep it but, positive. I like that. I I, uh, yeah. I actually have a confession. I did make a Billy Bob t-shirt, but I only made it for myself. I didn't make it for profit. And that's totally fine. I, I let people know all the time. You guys can make whatever you want for yourself. You know, I, I let them know, and I, I encourage it. Yeah, I'm a little bugged by Etsy, you know, when they when they show up on Etsy for yeah. like 20 bucks or something. Because I actually do have um, licensed merchandise uh, manufacturers, and they're, they're looking to me to enforce the copyrights, or else they won't pay me their royalties. That's terrible. So it, we could talk yeah, about that. I think it'd be a fun thing to talk about during the interview, because when we get to that point, and if it comes up, because I think it's important yeah. for people to, to respect that as much as they can. I, I'm not going to go out and make you know, uh, 5,000 Rockfire Explosion t-shirts and try to sell them because it's just not who I am. But, yeah. but I, you know, if I see something really cool, I might be creative and make my own thing. In fact, that, that picture I drew of you, which is, it's a screen grab from your uh, tour that you gave in 2017. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then I sort of cartoonized you and put you next to Billy Bob and, That'd be kind of fun t-shirt, I think. Yeah, that was that was nice. Although I've never actually personally been on a t-shirt. All right. Well, we got about eight minutes, so if you need to get a beverage or a glass of water or something, make sure you're you got a handy. Yeah, let me check the power on my phone here. Oh, let me plug it in. It's twelve percent. <laughs> oh, there goes Aaron. <laughs> we've done that. Yeah, we've we've had people uh, uh, had to plug in halfway. Yeah. Do a few shares quickly. Grab a soda and. No one's going to believe we're on time tonight. <laughs> we haven't gone on yet. <laughs> I know. Exactly. We, there's still time to have things go wrong. Let me get my bowl of potato chips. Okay. Nice. I'm just kidding. I don't eat potato chips when I'm doing an interview. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're okay with that. Well, Adam isn't, but <laughs> me and Brian. We yeah, well, if you get them, we're getting them, too. I'm yeah, yeah. Everybody needs to eat potato chips while we're talking tonight. <laughs> Welcome to the live chat. Yeah, Aaron. Aaron, are you standing by, or is a are we we ready to go? Handle? I am standing by. Sweet. Let's see, do we have a suggested topic? We don't. Hmm. Suggested topic for tonight? No. Yeah, yeah I don't have beforehand. one. I think we're going to just do what what we're working on tonight. I guess. Uh, let's see. What's something topical? A- Aaron, do you like the Marvel movies? Do you watch any of those? No, I'm not a, a big Marvel movie fan. Um, 
I am a Mystery Science Theater 3000 fan. Nice. That's a Minnesota original. Yeah. Started here on TV 23 with Joel Hodgson. Yeah, yeah I like the premise, and, and I like the, um, the theme song that warns everybody not to get too picky about the scientific facts underlying the show. <laughs> nice. Uh, have you been catching? I mean, are are they still producing new episodes? I think I saw some of those coming out. I saw where they were threatening to produce new episodes, but but Carrie, my girlfriend, and I, we we mostly just stick with the old stuff. Sweet. Now I now I'm you know I I feel like something happened recently. Uh, let's see here. Da, 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 2018. Well, it's 2019. No. Well, I, I see that there was a season that came out in 2018. Yeah, there was. They did release something more recently. Interesting. <laughs> ah, yeah, so good. That right. totally brings me back to high school. <laughs> yep. And uh, oh. of course, if I can get a, a Beavis and Butthead. Um, Kind of a, a, a weekend going that would be great too i know another <laughs> classic they brought that back for one season in hd i'm like come on mike judge keep going <laughs> it's hard for that show to be rebroadcast because of the music uh oh yeah the uh, music and then i think mtv owns the rights to the characters which is why they okay. came up with king of the hill uh-huh yeah i'm still i'm still quoting beavis and butthead all the time <laughs> Uh, do you, do you do an impression of either one? Uh, not a, not a really good one. I, I mostly do it in my um, in my comments when somebody writes to me and says uh, something like um, uh, they they might accidentally use the word a seaman, for example, to mean someone that's in the navy, and I go, <laughs> "You said seaman," <laughs> you know, or something like that. I don't know. Just whenever I whenever I don't feel like being being the intelligent one in the group, I have to I have to quote Beavis or Butthead. All right, let's roll it. Commence. Well, hey everybody, this here is Billy Bob, and I'm Louie Bird, and we're coming at you live on Arcade Radio with Adam, Mark, and Brian. Right, and Billy Bob and Looney Bird, and Rolf the Wolf, and my little buddy here, Earl Schmurrow. Let's get on with the show, everybody. Hey, uh, yeah, good idea, Rolf. Live from KOYR Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota, this is Arcade Radio. <laughs> Intruder alert, intruder alert. Hello 
and welcome to Season 3, Episode 16 of the Arcade Radio Podcast. Today is Thursday, May 16th, 2019, and the time is approximately now 7.22 p.m. Central. I'm joined by my co-host, Mark. Well, I probably should introduce myself first. Yes. Thanks for joining us in the Arcade Sphere. This is your host, Archaeologist Adam Strange. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Mark. Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? Shields and Paradise Arcade Shop proprietor and Batman in training, Brian Thurston Howell the Third. <laughs> and tonight, American Engineering Entrepreneur, uh, owner of Creator of Engineering Inc., and the creator of both Whack A Mole and the Rock of Fire Explosion, we present to you Mr. Aaron Fector. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure being here. I butchered that intro, but you know, that's live radio, I guess. Good stuff. It was close enough. <laughs> <laughs> So our first section of the show, what have you been working on? Uh, Mark, why don't you give us a little download here? Well, the Warlords I purchased in uh, January, I finally finished that. I spent two days on the weekend and got it all done. Um, The trick to getting the game working was cleaning all the dirty chips. Nice. uh, Yeah, I love that. It's great when Um, a plan comes together. I know. I bought a truck, a Toyota Tacoma, black, and I... uh, I'm calling it Marty McFly's truck. I kind of thought that it looked a little bit like Marty's truck when I yes. saw it. Yes. Well, wait till I put the roll bars in and the Casey lights. <laughs> nice. 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 I'm using that to tr- to tow my DeLorean. We actually are here in Dallas, Texas for the Grapevine Main Street Fest. And uh, we're raising money for Michael J. Fox's Parkinson's Foundation to th- this weekend. It's going to be awesome. And, oh, that's um, Fantastic. Yeah, so that's that's all I'm working on. That's all that's going on. Well, I, I haven't been doing a whole lot in the last couple of weeks, uh, but I did create a new group on Facebook called the Classic Arcade Preservation Society Group, so uh, CAPS. And it, along with this guy named Gaines McDonald, we've been supplying the group with copious amounts of photos and links that we've accumulated over the last couple of decades, I guess. So unlike other arcade groups on Facebook... Uh, this one is for the specific purpose of posting historical photos, uh, documents, and pictures of memorabilia from arcade-related culture. So, and nice. <laughs> and as of uh, today, we've already hit 500 users or, or members, which in five days is pretty good. We're averaging like 100 a day. <laughs> 501. I just hit join. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So that, other than that, Brian, what you been working on? Well, uh, I got two big projects going on right now. I uh, fought with Mach 3 through the weekend, finally got video onto the screen from the Dexter. I gave up on the LaserDisc player, but I've got some memory problems and something else is going on. So in the test menus, I can get everything working, but in the actual gameplay, I haven't been able to get it work, to work so worth a damn. Are, are the memory problems you're having contributing you to not being able to remember how to get it working or... <laughs> well, I I, I don't I know recall. exactly what's going on. Boy, that was uh, bad. I, that was a terrible joke. It was, was terrible. Well, the only reason I think there's memory problems <laughs> is because that part of the board seems to get to be about 20 to 30 degrees warmer than the rest of the board. You already told us about that. Running it. Don't you remember? You just, you just told us about I that. I don't remember. I have no memory. <laughs> 
Clean those dirty chips. That's what I say. Aaron, Aaron, are you working on any new projects? Oh, I sure am. Um, I'm always working on new projects. And what's your what's your latest project that you're working on? Well, it's it's a combination of projects all rolled into one, and it's my premium subscriber channel. So I'm actually producing okay. videos. Yeah, I have two or three new videos every week go out to my paid subscribers, people who actually dig into their hard earned money to uh, pay me for my work. And what I do is I run around with a video camera showing what I do every day um, from fixing characters, designing new ideas and new mechanisms or electronic control systems or what have you, to just packing up dolls that maybe somebody bought and sending them out. But whatever I'm doing every day, I videotape it, put it on my uh, subscriber channel, and let everybody see what it's like uh, what my life is like and who people who might want to have a life like mine <laughs> and uh, let them see what it's really like. So, And I try to uh, roll into it a bunch of my own um, values and, and ideas of, of how to have a happy, productive life. Things uh, I try to teach the kids who are members uh, that it's a lot of fun to work hard and to exercise hard and, uh, and just to live a good, hard honest life and that's basically what I do and, and what I try to show on my premium subscriber channel so uh, and I'm hoping to build the the subscription uh, the subscribers up to several thousand so that we can afford to do lots of fun stuff on video and when I say fun stuff what I really want to do and what everybody's hoping we get to is pulling out all these projects that were mothballed back in 1983 when showbiz pizza place pulled the plug on our research budget because uh, I have oh, yeah. I have a building full of stuff that we had to just stop working on back in 1983. And uh, I want to bring all that stuff up out of the basement and start working on it again and, and uh, make all these dreams come true and let everybody watch as it happens. That's really cool. Can you tell us wow. where they can subscribe? Uh, yeah, well, I mostly uh, it's, it's very old-fashioned, very old-school. Just um, There's a couple of easy ways to do it. One is just to write me at my email address, and we just handle it between us. Uh, person to person. Another is to buy the subscription on eBay. Um, so I do have it as a something. It's a it's something you can get anytime you want on eBay. Although it is seven dollars more expensive on eBay in order to cover the eBay fees. So it's only sixty five dollars though on my website or person to person or seventy two dollars on uh, eBay for a whole year of my private. Wow. Uh, premium subscriber stuff, and it's behind the scenes. It's all the stuff behind the scenes, including. uh Oh, it's time for some surgery, right, Brian? <laughs> that might is the be. Major. Uh, Brian's like. a surgeon. I just learned that. I, I'm I'm worried about that. You better take that call. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, my behind the scenes uh, stuff is all is all put out there. I put it all out there, including the mistakes that I make and how I correct the mistakes and how much I depend on other people to help me because I'm not really that great at anything. So I get a lot of help from a lot of other people, and uh, and they're my co-stars on this on this venture. Um, so it's um. It's, it's really something I consider to be a great value. It's actually the best value of everything I produce. But then, um, among other things I'm doing, I'm also producing all of the characters now in plush. So you can have a rocket fire explosion in plush dolls um, and, um, and starting to work on the animatronic miniatures too. Uh, so eventually that we'll have desktop animatronics uh, in the fashion of the rocket fire explosion that you can have in your very own home if you're able to afford it. Yeah. That's really cool. So why don't you give the, the listeners your email address? We could start there. Okay, it's Aaron, just like my name, A-A-R-O-N, at starsof.com. And that's stars like stars in the sky, 
OF, as in Frank, dot com. That's my email address. Sweet. That's Aaron at starsof.com. Right. Perfect. I Long found the it. link. I, I posted it on the chat, the eBay link. Who's the beautiful woman with the brunette hair? That's probably Carrie, my girlfriend. Ah. <laughs> well, congratulations, sir. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, since I don't know what you're looking at, I'm, I'm just assuming if it's somebody else, I'm, I'm in trouble. <laughs> well, she's standing in front of the Deadpool super yeah, duper dance party. Right. Yep. That's Carrie. And, um, and she's a wonderful girlfriend and a mother of my two dogs. Oh, excellent. Wow. Excellent. Well, let's move on to the next segment, huh? Good evening. The news channels to Israel, government, business, merger, refugee, oil supply, defense, the clan, education, strikes, crime, riot, candid science, celebrity, the earth, the universe, the news channel. Today, I'm Bob Kang. I'm Jim Wilkerson. This is the news channel. We interrupt the ventilation. And now, the arcade news with Brian McLeod. Welcome to the Arcade News. Today we have a few interesting stories going on. The first of which seems kind of pertinent to the uh, current conversation. This was an interesting article somebody found from People.com about Julia Roberts, uh, who was on Ellen DeGeneres back in November of last year and uh, released the fact that she actually wore a, a bear outfit at a showbiz pizza and worked at a pizza parlor as a teenager. And uh, they showed actually a picture of her with uh, Dick the Birthday Boy, uh, in, <laughs> who had his own shirt. Quite a, an amusing article if you want to look that one up. But Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. Julia so, Roberts was Billy Bob. Yep. Wow. You That's didn't know amazing. that, did you, Aaron? <laughs> y- you launched a career, yeah. Aaron. Yes, I, I'm very proud of that. You know, they called me, uh, the people uh, with the... Um, with the TV show, called me that morning before Julia Roberts was going to be on and told me, hey, Julia Roberts is going to be on, uh, uh, on the TV show today and we're going to need you to help us get a costume. We, we want you to help us get a Billy Bob costume to come out and meet Julia Roberts. And, and, I, and they're in California. And I said, well, you know, you haven't given me enough notice. I can't do it. And they said, no, you can do it. You, you don't understand. This is big time Hollywood. You can do it. Just get us a costume. We need it in two hours. I said, no, you really didn't give me enough time to do this. <laughs> so, so, um, so they had to go with it, whatever they had. Yeah. And I thought it was funny when they, when they faced her with that and they said, so is this you in the costume, Julia? Or, and she said, yeah, that's me. I, but really, I think, that, um, I think that picture has been circulated for a while. And um, it's, it's the one that comes up if you Google a Billy Bob walk-around costume. <laughs> I cannot attest that that's actually Julia Roberts in that costume. <laughs> I do believe her. I do believe she did wear the costume. Yeah. Oh, I believe yeah. her too. How many other walk-around costumes of the band members did they have? Did they have one for everybody? Um, we made in our in the good old days when we had a research budget that I mentioned earlier. We did produce prototype walk-arounds for all the characters, but the only one that ever got made was the Billy Bob costume, made and rolled out to all the restaurants. Sure. So the only ones that were ever made of all the other cost of all the other characters were the prototypes. And most of those costumes, I've still got a few of them in my shop, and some of the other ones ended up at, at um, another restaurant somewhere. But, um, but really, uh, they're very rare. The, um, other than the Billy Bob costume, they're very rare. And even the Billy Bob costumes now are very rare. Yeah. I have a quick question about the Billy Bob walk-around costume. Did he have eyes that could blink? No, he didn't. However, in 1987, we did produce the talking walk-around costume where the eyes blinked 
and the mouth move, okay. and it was radio controlled, okay. and the signals that controlled those servos, the eyes and the mouth of the walk-around costume, came right off the show tape, the same tape that controlled the, the uh, other animatronic characters. Oh. So Billy Bob could come out of the back, you know, you could wear the costume, and then all the facial stuff, the, the hard stuff, the mouth and the eyes, were controlled by the computer. So that gave you a live performance, for example, and Billy Bob could come out performing in his correct voice and in his correct mannerisms and everything. So I thought that would be a big hit and, um, and brought it to the IAAPA in 1987 and introduced it. I thought for sure this is going to be a breakthrough that's going to set the world on fire. And um, the first guy that came up to me was a showbiz pizza place franchisee and he said, how much do you want for that talking costume? And I said, it's $7,000. And he said, oh really, how much is the costume without the talking mouth? And I said, well, it's $3,500. And he said, $3,500 more just to have the mouth move? Uh-uh. Nope. Not interested. And <laughs> it, was so, it was so disheartening that they, that they didn't see that, that this was an entertainment breakthrough that could herald in a new era that, um, that I, I basically just, I almost packed my bags up and left. <laughs> At that point, I was also independently wealthy, so I didn't need to listen to that kind of crap. So I just said, okay, well, then uh, you don't get to have it. You can't have it. Get out of here. <laughs> it's, nice, it's nice to be able to have that, uh, you know, that um, option. ability, that option, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You know, you, you, Believe me, you, you do. You tell people where to go when you got lots of money. That's basically what I did. Now, that situation doesn't exist for me anymore. Uh, but that was, but you know, because I, I budgeted all that money I had over 30 years. But, um, <laughs> you know, now I'm, I'm scrapping like the rest of us out here. It's, it's fun. That's <laughs> good to hear that. Back to working hard. <laughs> I love it. So, the, so another interesting news. Uh, so it's kind of funny that you mentioned how they, they kind of shaded their, uh, their plug on Ellen DeGeneres because the next story is actually kind of fascinating by how poorly it was reported, but there's a uh, British Columbia has a new arcade, uh, well, has an arcade lands bar that added a bunch of games and they're quoted as saying they added one of the rarest games in the world. So if you're a collector, you're expecting like Azterac or something like this. And they, they announced they have a Star Trek captain's chair. What's <laughs> really interesting about this is that they also quote their other games as being a dragon slayer games one and two. Oh. So it's obviously a telephone interview where they said Dragon's Lair and, and the person heard Dragon's Slayer. Um, and they also have, and I think this is rarer than the Star Trek captain's chair, they have a Return of the Jedi Star Wars cockpit. So, oh, I, I, you know. <laughs> I didn't even know they made a cockpit. <laughs> so anyways, it was conversion. kind of a, a fascinating little story there about a, an arcade bar out there and uh, interesting uh, the way it was reported, but I thought the Dragon Slayer games were were fascinating. I tried finding them and couldn't find any documentation of them, so I look forward to pictures. Yes. Uh, yes. Do we have any gadgets in the hopper? We do. We have. So I, this is just a, a selfish plug this week. So um, unabashedly, I'm just going to mention that uh, we actually just finished off doing uh, the vector art for the Omega Race uh, cockpit backdrops. And those will be going off to the printer in the next day or two, and we're so, hoping to have. So all five um, of you uh, are going to get brand new backdrops. Listen, the <laughs> list is up to like twenty-two people at this point. <laughs> well, it's up to like eighteen, and four of those people are getting two of them. That's but, awesome. Um, what's going to be really fun is it's going to be all uh, UV reactive ink. We will be launching some uh, shadow boxes with uh, etched Omega Race 
scenes in front of it so that other people who don't have the uh, cockpit can enjoy it. But the art is really fascinating, and we've gone through several revisions to try and get it to accurately represent the original, which is a lot tougher than I thought it would be. It's a very uh, complex set of artwork. It's really cool. I just want to say, if you have a chance to go check it out uh, on the Paradise Arcade Facebook page or paradisearcadeshop.com if you want to put it. Do you have it up there? We, it's actually on the Facebook page. Yes, I just posted it up there today, the final release of the artwork I posted. Sweet. Um, in, um, in kind of a PNG format. So if people want to grab the PNG and use it, uh, I think I posted a large format so they could use it for uh, computer screens and other things. The people that I've shown the initial things to have said, that's going to make a great desktop picture. So um, we'll release the PNGs for that. I am being selfish with the vectors and trying to, to keep them with myself. So... <laughs> Coveting. Excellent. They are. I guess it's over to Mark next. Back in 82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin quarter mile. Back, back to, to the, the cave, cave with, with Time Runner. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? Welcome, everyone, as we go back to me. Hello? I heard another person. Where, where is that? I don't uh, know. Oh, there it is, my beeps, yes. We're going back to May 16th, 1982. That was a mere, oh man, I have to do math, 37 years ago <laughs> at the height of, of showbiz pizza place and rock fire explosion success. And so the, there may be some tie-ins here. So here, hey, what was going on? Namco would release Dig Dug into the unsuspecting uh, public and Activision was poised to drop Pitfall onto home gamers. And what do they both have in common? Holes. Yeah. Hey, Aaron, did, did you play yeah. any of the, uh, the games that were at a particular location? Like, did you, you know, go into the arcade or did you just basically focus on the animatronics? Well, you know, the truth is I really did just focus on the animatronics, but, uh, but I did have my favorite games. I would say uh, Crazy Climber, the, um, oh, yeah. the, the game where the gorilla was climbing on, on the outside of the, of the building. That was one of my favorites. I got pretty good at that one. Um, of course, there was always Pac-Man and Ms. Pac-Man uh, until I got um, some kind of wrist injury from playing that one. Oh, no. And, um, yeah, you know, there was a lot of people were getting wrist injuries back in those days from playing those games. Do you remember that? Vaguely. I, I... That's when we first found out about carpal tunnel syndrome. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and then came the and then the next time we got it was because we were using our mouse. Uh, I don't know if you call them mice, right. but our mouse on the computers too much. And uh, yes, right. so we were getting injuries from playing video games back in those days. There were a lot of uh, injuries. The guys now actually uh, playing Smash Brothers. They have to contort their hands in such a way to use the Nintendo controller that they've actually documented, like uh, basically increased wear in the wrist joints because of the game. And how much they play? Yeah, it's it, it can be dangerous. They, that was a, a big point that was brought up. Um, I also played Galaxian and uh, Centipede, those kind of games. Um, of course, Space Invaders. I guess maybe I'll have to put that up at the top. Good old Space right. Invaders. Yeah, and then Dragon Slayer, when it came out, I was very disturbed by the lag when you were changing scenes. I wanted it to be instantaneous. Yeah. So we actually did some work with laser disc players, and we figured out, and we, we built some circuits that allowed you to have four laser disc players tied together to switch scenes seamlessly. What? Yeah, and we, and we, and we showed the technology to, um, to a gaming industry, 
that uh, was just about ready to move out of the laser disc players anyway as a base. So, uh, but but that was my idea was to um, was to gang four laser disc players together and uh, and seamlessly switch between scenes instantly so that you wouldn't have that big lag that you had in uh, Dragon's Lair. And um, we just didn't have digital video yet. You know, the laser disc was as close right. as we could get to digital video. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. amazing! So um, let's let's see what what was going on at the box office on May sixteenth, nineteen eighty two. We were actually six way, six days away from the epic Mad Max two, The Road Warrior, which my Australian band buddy Brian Hughes told me was super awesome. Uh, but I was too busy to watch it because Showbiz Pizza Place was was more cool, and I just went there. Uh, also, also, I have a story I'd like to share. I had a friend named Trey. I'm not going to say his last name, but um, he loved Showbiz Pizza Place. Um, and he loved it so much, though, he got caught stealing a pizza uh, from their little, you know, the, sh- the little chute that the pizzas come out of. And wow. I don't know if they sent him to pizza jail or not, but he did get banned. Oh, so sorry, gosh. Trey. <laughs> Is that story about you going to Showbiz instead of the movie really true? Um, it is. Yeah. I did not care about Mad Max. Uh, I remember some friends were like, we're going to go see Mad Max. I'm like, okay, have fun. I'm going to go into this arcade and see you guys later. Wow. Yeah. I get confessions from people all the time about things they did at showbiz when they were kids. (laughs) And the thing I hear the most is when they say that between shows, they peeked behind the curtains (laughs) to see what the characters were doing. (laughs) It would have been great if you'd programmed something where they, Look at all of the possible like spots in between the curtains where they open, you know. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I know. I, there, there's all that kind of stuff was on our drawing board. We had a, a lot of great ideas like that on our drawing board that we wanted to bring out, and it was, and that's what we spent our research money on. It's just a shame, really, that Showbiz had to had to shut down our research budget because our goal was to have all of the characters playing their own instruments by the year 2000. Oh, that would have been amazing. And we, were gonna yeah. make, and we were going to make steady progress on that. And the first character that we had that was ready to play his own instrument by 1984 was Duke LaRue, the drummer. And, uh, and I, we built four prototype Duke LaRue drummers that could actually play a full set of drums. And, and I still have all four of them in my basement. And that's the next thing we're bringing up on, out of the basement uh, onto my uh, work area is the uh, second generation Duke LaRue drumming robot. And we're going to be working on that and getting it uh, programmed behind the scenes for my premium subscribers. Oh, wow. Well, I I, I don't have anything about um, automated drummers, but on TV in May 16, 1982, the show Trapper John MD was on. It had a new episode. And really the only thing I remember about Trapper John was, A, I always thought that he looked, uh, well, whenever, hold on, I always thought about Trapper John. Whenever I heard the show's name, I thought about my Trapper Keeper. Yeah, that's what I meant to (laughs) say. Yes. (laughs) Um, also, actor Pernell Roberts, who played Trapper, he has this uncanny resemblance to Robotron World Champion David Gomez. Everybody, go out there and look. Go, go find <laughs> okay. him, David. I, he's one of my bandmates in my band, so I'm always like Trapper. Jo- I mean David. And then last, Trapper John's catchy disco theme song sounded like something out of an Irwin Allen show. And and I have a, a message here. Let's hear Al Adam play some of that theme song now. Oh my God! You you mean? Oh no! I put you on the spot. Well, uh, so- no, it's fine. 
it's fine. I I'm I I can play it. I've got it right here. Trapper John. That's right. You you could be at showbiz, but you're at home. <laughs> oh. I, sh- I just need to start playing that theme when I walk in the hospital now, right? Yes. Oh, Brian could, Brian could be Trapper John. Brian Armitage, MD. Oh, we have to work that into his introduction next week. <laughs> okay, done. <laughs> That'll be good. Well, the TV hey, shows we were crazy about were Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse. Oh yeah. And Saturday Night Live. Oh yeah. Oh, nice. Amazing back then. Yeah, that's when it meant something. Mark, were you about to ask me a question? Uh, hey, what's in the juke? What's in the juke? Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Man, I got to talk to the guy that put that together. It's okay. way too long. <laughs> it was. It used to be really long. This is the part of the show where we... You know, play clips for the audience. But today we have a special edition. Rockafire explosion. Version of what's in the juke. What's in the rockafire? What's in the rockafire? Yeah. What, what do we do during this? Uh, tell us what we do, Mark. Here's where we play tiny parts of a song and hope that people that are in the chat understand what song it is and are able to give us either the title, the band name, or both. Uh, you will get a half point for each, and if you are able to do both in the same response, you will get a full point. Uh, Adam has some uh, canned responses to indicate what how many points you got. <laughs> That's right. Today, every song we play is going to be the Rock of Fire Explosion. They did such a great body of work that we decided that every clip is going to be a cover that the Rock of Fire Explosion did. So we are going to ask Aaron, Aaron, would you mind introducing the band to us at this point? Well, sure. Um, in fact, I tell you what, I'm going to turn over the introduction of the band to, um, to someone who's introduced the band a number of times, who has a lot more experience with it than I do, and that's Billy Bob Broccoli. Go ahead, Billy Bob. Well, sure, Aaron, I'll be happy to. Uh, I, hey, everybody, I'm Billy Bob, and I'm uh, over here on the bass guitar, and my, and my bird brain friend in the barrel there, that's Looney Bird. Hey there, everybody, I'm Looney Bird. And Looney Bird doesn't play anything, uh, but Mitzi Mozzarella, she just uh, shakes her pom-poms around, and, uh, and she's our... She's our uh, token female in the group. That was before uh, you know uh, women had representation, and we could get away with that. And then, uh, and then, uh, and then we got Beach Bear back there on the guitar. And uh, and and Beach Bear, you're you're about the best guitarist I ever heard. And, and then there's Fats over on the organ. That's right. Uh, yeah, uh, that's me on the organ. And, uh, and uh, there's Rolf the Wolf over there. He doesn't play nothing. I don't know where all the music comes from. Hey, just don't mention any to anybody that Rolf the Wolf is a big disco fan, okay? Just don't tell anybody because if they do, if they hear about it, I'll be getting too many phone calls from too many people who still love disco. You are such a geek. Rolf, nobody loves disco. Disco has been out of style for 40 years. Yeah, well, you've been out of style for 40 years. Your butt's out of style. No, your butt's out of style. Your butt's out of style. Okay, guys, that's it. That's it. Okay, everybody, uh, the only one I haven't introduced you to there is Duke on the drums, Duke LaRue. So let's take it away with the big what's on the jukebox or whatever the heck it was Adam said we're playing. (laughs) Time for our first clip. 
just get some sort of visual exposure. But all I wanna do is sit back and play. So chatters have to guess what song that was, and <laughs> <laughs> and Hope gets Mountain Music, uh, and the band and the person who was singing that, if you heard it closely, you get a another half point for that. It is the Oak Ridge. No, it's not. It's not the Oak Ridge Boys, is it? No, it's Alabama. I thought. Well, Ralph was introducing. I don't know. I I think Aaron, uh, you were right. That's. Uh, that's piped in. Uh... No, that's actually our, that, those are our tracks. Um, you know, now that I hear them, those are our tracks. And, um, and that was Rolf introducing them and, uh, and the band playing them together. So uh, basically those were just all harmonies between Fats, Mitzi, Beach Bear, and Duke. That's so good. You guys did such a great job. Thank you. Thank Mark, you. who are you giving the, the points to here? So in chat, I think, well, Hope definitely got a half point. Half point. Perfect. Half and who was that? I don't remember the original group either. Was that Alabama or uh, Oak Ridge Boys? I thought Mountain Music was Alabama. Uh, I'm, I've, now I'm double checking just to make sure. Right. It is Perhaps Alabama. It is Alabama. So I'm going to say that it was Andy Baldwin. Well, the, we're, uh, not give, we're not giving it for the band. We're only giving it if they get the Rock of Fire Explosion performer. For, okay, okay. For the yeah. cover. <laughs> And that was a trick question because it was harmonies. Maybe the next one would be more fair. And, and, and so if you hear everybody singing, you just get to say rock fire. And if you're the first person to say rock fire, you're going to get a half point. So uh, <laughs> That'll make it easy. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Okay, here comes the next clip. SRC Vintage Electronics, Mitzi with the artist. And what's the song? Again, Our Lips Are Sealed, SRA Vintage Electronics. That's a full point for him, that person, whoever that full is. Full point. Job. And what a very detailed username. Service Vintage Electronics. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. Source Vintage. I'm not source sure Source Vintage, what maybe. Maybe it's Source sure. Vintage. I like that. Duke on the drums. Now we got people guessing. <laughs> <laughs> Duke on the drums. Okay, here comes the next one. That's these covers are amazing. I love it. 
And who who got it first? Jacob Goldberg in the chat got the title, and Hope Apple. got the uh, Mitzi. All right, Hope's Apple. doing well. Hope is yeah, Hope is tied with Source Vintage, blah 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 blah. Fantastic. Yes. All right, I look. I get to play a little bit more. The, the musicians that are playing that music are really good. I mean, Aaron, Aaron, where did you find these guys? Thank you. Yeah, they're um, well. The the girl that was singing, uh, Shalisa Sloan, uh, Shalisa Sloan James. Now her married name. She was 11 years old when she auditioned to sing for Mitzi back in 1981. And and when she sang that, she was probably either 12 or 13 years old. Just a just a great prodigy, and still singing wonderfully. And uh, so. So we had uh, her, we had uh, Burt Wilson, who arranged the music, who was also a full-time employee, and one of my, I'd say maybe my very best friend back in those days, uh, who was also mentoring me, kind of pulling me along and helping me with, um, with my musical uh, education. And then uh, Duke and, and Beach Bear, you know, uh, Rick Bailey, all of these guys, and Duke, by the way, his real name is Duke uh, Chappetta. So even though they're the voices of the characters, they also played the instruments. Really, the Rock of Fire Explosion were voices and instruments and arrangements just like just like the Beatles. Wow! Everybody did uh, solos, and everybody everybody did lead vocals. I do want to say that as I was, you know, going through these covers and knowing your involvement with the whole production aspect, the engineering aspect of everything, putting together all these songs, and there are lots of songs that you used on the show. This must have been super time consuming to produce this quality of music well we did we ran a full-time studio and these guys uh five or six people worked in the studio full full time and uh, and it took about three months to produce a new show tape a new show tape would have somewhere in the range of six or seven uh new songs on it but um but the new songs sometimes weren't just short songs they were medleys maybe an eight or ten minute uh length medley wow so we were constantly producing new music and even breaking up into groups uh, where, for example, Duke might be working on his original song while Bert sure. was working on his original song while Rick was working on the show tape. Makes so we perfect sense. So we were constantly working all of these songs for, you know, 10 or 15 years. So I noticed a lot of original songs had to do with pizza. Were, were there any other songs that were not pizza related, but also something that you know? You got to hold. Goodbye, some, like. We got to hold some of these questions. The chatters are waiting to oh, play. I know they're so good. Okay, okay, I'll wait. I'll wait. <laughs> All right, here we go. We got that one. That's right. Jacob Goldberg <laughs> got the title Elvira, and Hope was able to provide the uh, singer Fats. Half point. For both of them. That's perfect. All right. Here comes your next clip. Mm-hmm. 
of the original. It was real important to us to capture all of that spirit of the original recordings. We, de we definitely felt that way. And, and you know, when you get into our other work, like the Beatles uh, covers, you'll see that we were even, well, we were just as, as accurate about all of those notes and the arrangements uh, as we were on everything else. We had to make sure that if any of the original artists, especially the Beatles, heard our work, that they'd be proud of what we did. Uh, so you should really hear some of that stuff. The Abbey Road show tape, the White Album medley tribute, those things were just meticulously performed and particulous, particularly mixed just like the record. For example, at the end of uh, the Abbey Road show tape, uh, there's, um, there's a place where uh, there's something like 17, I think it's exactly 17 seconds after the end of, this, of the uh, album that you think the album is over. But then all of a sudden, uh, here comes the very end. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. Do, 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 do. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl. You know, and that comes on. And so we did it exactly that way with exactly the same amount of time between the end of the show and the uh, Her Majesty song, leaving the audience in complete darkness and wondering what was going on for 17 seconds. Oh, my gosh. Which, by the way, wasn't operationally a good decision, but artistically it's what we wanted to do. We got in trouble yeah. for a lot of those kind of decisions where we left the lights off and made people wonder what was going on. And that was that was tough on the audience though because we had mom walking in there with a with a tray full of pizza trying to find a table and there was not no lights on and she had five screaming kids trying trying running crazy so um, so we got in trouble for a lot of stuff like that but even at, at the end I was telling you about the mix at the very end of that you'll hear Billy Bob's voice panning from the right to the left in exactly the same meter, tempo, and time that it did it on the album. So we were precisely mirroring those albums in, in the music and the arrangements and everything except for the voices. Oh, that's great. Wow. All right, next clip. Here we go. so good wow who who's uh, who's the first one to get men at work and 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 uh fats or rather fats and down under so, down, so hope hope was first with land down under nice. and half point oh and fats so she nice. gets a full point oh full point full point for hope nice work all right aaron were you gonna say something i was just enjoying it i was just enjoying remembering us 
uh, working on that song and thinking how we wanted to mimic the sound that they had on the ra- on the radio and the record. And um, and I also wanted to mention that that this was pre karaoke. Yes. Uh, back back when they came out with karaoke, of course, a lot of people were trying to recreate the tracks. But so we were recreating the tracks and didn't have the help of karaoke tracks. If karaoke had been invented, we might have used some karaoke tracks when we found some good ones. And I'm glad we didn't. I'm glad we did all of these tracks fresh uh, in our studio. Speaking of a fresh track, I think this is one of your earlier ones. Here we go. Catch a wave and you're sitting on top of the world. screaming at the end. I do well, too. Hope, it's so good. Hope again has triumphed with uh, the uh, Catch a Wave, uh, Beach Bear, and the entire band, the Beach Boys cover. Full she, point. Yeah. She's slaughtering it. I mean, they're even getting was- Aaron before Rick. I mean, it's like Aaron is Mitzi too. I mean, the, the chat is lighting this up. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, they they know my history, and I was looking for the permanent voices for the characters back then, and uh, we had to get out something right away, so I decided I'd just go ahead and and do the voices, uh, even for the characters that I hadn't found the permanent voices for yet. So those two voices, Mitzi and Beach Bear, were among my early attempts to to do the whole group. So is Aaron as Mitzi, too? Is that true? Yes, with um, and back then, uh, to do a pitch... Uh, change we had to of course we didn't have what you have now we basically had a speed control on the tape deck so using a speed oh. control in the tape deck and uh, and recording it in falsetto that's the way it comes out wow. Wow. here's your next clip got that one hope is dominating she got both uh full point secret agent man and earl although damon breland also mentioned rolf is singing so i'm going to give him a half point as well oh good good i don't remember rolf singing that one i remember just doing oh rolf is standing there he's just standing there earl's singing that one okay damon you lost your point aaron took it away here we go all right this is my favorite of the bunch uh i might let it play a little longer than the rest okay let's do it just so good
Hey, I could tell you some great stories about that guy, Rick Bailey, who recorded that, but it would take a whole nother show. Just, I'll tell you, there, there's a guy that should have been the, the most famous, popular recording star of all time, in, in my opinion. He is, that is spot on. And it's, it, it, he has, you can, t- he's very, uh, Daryl Hall there, but he is, he's doing it in his own voice, his own inflection. And he's adding his own thing to it. And the music is great, too. They're just so spot on on that one. I'm really impressed. Yeah, that one brings goosebumps to me. I, I play it for my um, the, the, fam, the families and the fans that come in to see me at my shop. Yeah. I play that one for them almost, almost every time a family comes in. I play that show for them. That's great. All right, we're on to the next clip. Got that money, money, and Hope got the member of the band that covered it. Point. For each of those, each. nice, perfect. Each. All right, we're getting down. This is the this is the last track. We should make this one worth a little more money. Okay, so right now Hope is in first place with six points. Wow, Jacob <laughs> Jacob Goldberg way behind with two point five, okay. and Source Vintage Electronics blah 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 with one point. So. Jacob's going to need at least four points to get up there. Okay, so let's... I think we make this a five-pointer. Well, let's if we make, make it a five, then somebody could overtake her. That's uh, okay. Five right. points. That'll right. work. Are we going to do five points? We're just going to mix yeah. it up. All right, here we go. And I did it, did it. 
Damon Breland gave us the, uh, let's see, Mr. I guess he got Mr. Baseman and then Hope, uh, well, no, Jacob actually got us uh, Fats. So so what ended up happening, though, is since they had to split the two and a half points each, Hope is the winner. Jacob, Jacob came in second place. <laughs> nice, nice. Damon out of nowhere in third place and Swords Vintage Electronics, blah, 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 with one point. Wow. That's just amazing. I love it. I love this band. Good job, everybody. And I got to say, yeah, great job, everybody. And we're just going to, it's Mountain Music by Rolf, originally by Alabama. Our lips are sealed by Mitzi. That was the Go-Go's. Girls just want to have fun, Mitzi, Cindy Lauper, and Elvira Fats, Oak Ridge Boys. She blinded me with science, Ralph and Earl, Thomas Dolby. And then Down Under by Fats, Men at Work. And Catch a Wave, Beach Bear, and the entire band. Uh, and Secret Agent Man, uh, Earl, originally Johnny Rivers. And one-on-one, of course, Hollow Notes, Beach Bear, Moni Moni, Beach Bear. Showing the versatility of that particular singer. Singer. And you had to finish with Mr. Bass Man, because that's Fats and our very own Billy Bob. That brings us to the most important part of the show. One more time, I just want to say thank you for coming on the show and and joining us tonight. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure being here. A lot of fun. So we have to get back to Mark's question because I interrupted him, and I know some of the chatters were kind of disappointed. Right. So those original songs, they seem to be pizza-centric. Tell us about the the motivation behind the themes. You know, like, if you're going to come up with an original song, was there, you know, like an incentive to come up with something that sort of pushed the showbiz things that you can purchase or, you know, I mean, I love it. I'd hearing about pizza. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'll tell you, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember any original uh, songs based on pizza or games really? or showbiz pizza place. Now we did do a commercial uh, based on showbiz pizza, but all of the original songs that we did were songs from our heart that the okay. characters, like, for example, I, I did a few um, originals that were, one was from my first daughter called O'Don. Um, another one was Duke did several originals. One was called Going Crazy, and, um, and there was a couple of other ones that he did. Fats, uh, n- namely uh, Bubba Wilson, who did um, uh, the voice of Fats, he did a song called Louisiana that also won the um, award for the best song created for the World's Fair in 1982. So um, these were all songs, and it was about Louisiana. Uh, so we all did songs uh, that were from our heart, and um, and we were in t- our real goal in life was not to be the next Mr. Rogers. Really, we were young rock and rollers, and our stage was in Showbiz Pizza Place, and our our faces were the Rock of Fire Explosion. But really, our hearts were 
in our souls, just like any musicians. And so those original songs were not about pizza and were not about showbiz pizza. And, by the way, Justin Ishmael, one of the merchant licensed merchandise producers of the Rock of Fire Explosion, is coming out with an album of all of our original songs. Oh, that's cool. So, so you might be thinking of Chuck E. Cheese when you think of pizza, original pizza songs, because I think they did that. I think uh, it's, it's called Harmony 2, and I'm not sure if that's the name of the sequence or whatever, but there, was this, there were three songs. Pizza Time, Hoedown. I fall for oh so that is Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. Okay, and I fall yeah. for pizzas. Also Chuck E. Cheese. Chuck E. Cheese. Prairie Pizza Man. Man, Chuck E. Cheese, you tricked me. Yeah. Those guys were the cheese, man. I tell you. Wow. <laughs> there was so much difference between our soul and the Chuck E. Cheese soul, and right. that's what we were hoping right. that people would know. But back in the early '80s, the parents, your parents, right. didn't know there was right. a difference between Chuck E. Cheese and Showbiz Pizza Place. But there was this huge difference. We felt like we were real, we were honest, we were sincere, we were trying to do something worth the time and the money that you spent to come see us. Chuck E. Cheese was out to get your quarters, and that was it. That was all there was to it. And I had a lot of support from the executives, especially in the early days, to produce what I considered to be art in the Rock of Fire explosion. So they, they were into it in the early days. The reason that it changed in 1985 is because ownership changed. Uh, we lost our, our ability to make money, or we never had an ability. It was just not as good a, a concept as everybody thought it might be financially. So we, we went out of business, basically, but it was bought out by some other people. Uh, they changed the name to Chuck E. Cheese, absorbed the Chuck E. Cheese assets, and became one company. Yeah. So really, between yeah. 1980 and maybe 85, you got the real soul of the Rock of Fire explosion, and then after that, everything started changing and turning into a cheese-oriented, money-hungry machine. Oh, that totally well, makes sense. When I was 10, it was, oh, so 1982, I was 10. I remember... Uh, Chuck E. Cheese opening in uh, nearby city of Burnsville, Minnesota. And there were a couple of showbiz pizzas in Minneapolis area as well. One of the kids was has a, having a birthday party at Showbiz Pizza. And uh, his name was Chris. I don't remember what his last name is. It was 1982. So he invites a bunch of kids to come to Showbiz Pizza. And I've never been. So I'm super excited to go. Because I'm going to play video games, whatever. And I'd seen, you know, the animatronics at Chuck E. Cheese. And they're pretty boring. They're just in little alcoves. And they come out. They're not together or anything. They just each talk individually and across to each other from these sort of, I don't know what they are, balcony seats or whatever. But then I remember being blown away by this band that was playing like songs that were like my parents liked and that I liked. And that, <laughs> so it was like all of a sudden the, the whole environment was more fun because you were actually being entertained while we're having our pizza. So I, I remember there being just the stark contrast between, yeah, that's a real rock band and fats was just so cool. And Billy Bob was so personable. So you had all these characters that you could, you know, enjoy. I, I thought at 10. Well, thank you very much for noticing that a lot of the, a lot of the kids grew up. Well, they all grew up. And a lot of them grew up yeah. and wrote to me when the internet was invented and, and said, Aaron, we know that Showbiz Pizza Place was was so much better than Chuck E. Cheese. We know that. And we're, and we're so sorry that they turned into Chuck E. Cheese and that they took out your, your characters and, and, uh, and we were with you. And, you know, I mean, I got a lot of support from a lot of people who understood the difference between the two. But, of course, as children, they had no power to express their points of view. But they even knew it when they were children. And that's what the story is that they tell me all the time. 
That's cool. I did have a question from a listener before the show. He can't listen live. Uh, Sean Dick had a question from Canada. And you, you probably don't know the answer to this, but I want to ask it anyway, because it might lead into something else. He was wondering if... Uh, you had any idea if the animatronic characters that were used at something called Good Time Pizza had been uh, your invention. And I know some of the showbiz pizza characters uh, and some of the Chuck E. Cheese characters ended up being redressed and different things, but maybe you know. Well, um, you know, after uh, after Showbiz Pizza Place lost their exclusive on the Rocket Fire Explosion um, and decided, you know, to start bringing in the Chuck E. Cheese characters, um, I still had 80 shows that I had to put in various restaurants. And we did put them, we did sell them and put them in various restaurants like Pistol Pete's Pizza and, um, uh, let's see, there were some others. There was uh, Pizza... Uh, I, I can't remember all the names, you know, coming off with them off the top of my head. But I don't remember Good Time Pizza. That one I don't remember. Um, usually I would remember them. So it probably was not the Rocket Fire Explosion, and there were a lot of copycats back then. So I'm thinking yeah. that wasn't the Rocket Fire. But, um, but there were plenty of restaurants that did have the Rocket Fire, and, you, you know, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if for some reason I'm just not remembering that one. And Circus Pizza uh, is a Minnesota chain, or it started in Minnesota. Well, yeah, you know, Circus Pizza was also one of those that um, that bought our one of the shows that we had left over after the whole showbiz thing went off. So we did put, I think it was okay. two two shows and two Circus Pizzas. Yeah, yeah. One of them, I think, was an E-Dynamite. Oh, no. Yep, that's correct. I'm going to ask you about one in Connecticut, because there's a place called Jester's Courtyard. In Connecticut, that had an animatronics show. Yeah, that one doesn't ring a bell, so it was probably a different animatronic show. All right, well, let's let's back up a little bit. We kind of jumped ahead. I want to ask you to tell us how you became Aaron Fector, the, the, the engineer, the, the inventor. I, I've heard some stories about Heathkits and different projects you had as a kid. And uh, could you just kind of walk us through the, you know, what motivated you to do what you did in the eighties? Well, I remember as a very small child being very impressed with Thomas Edison. And uh, the idea that he invented the electric light bulb, which was something that even a four-year-old would understand. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was like one of, I guess that was like the first inventor that we were told was an inventor. That was the first inventor that all of us learned about as children was Thomas Edison, the most famous of all. The idea that he would have invented something that would change the world and far outlive his own life that he actually created something that would continue to live long past his own life and continue to change the world generation, century after century. It was just too amazing to think that one person could invent something that could permanently change the world. So even as a child under 10 years old, that was my goal. Now, I, I don't really consider the Rockefeller Explosion or even the Whack-A-Mole, as great as that is, I'm just kidding, uh, to be that invention. But at, as a child under 10... I really believed and hoped that I could do something that would be great enough to put me in the league of Thomas Edison. Okay, now as I grew up and got a little older and got a little a, a little more understanding of how the world worked, um, and also saw some other things. I there was this kid named Jerry Kelly in my fourth grade class. You know, hats off to Jerry Kelly, who was everything any kid wanted to be. He was athletic. He was good looking. And then one day he he came into to our class and played the piano and entertained everybody. And I was so amazed that this kid had this ability to hold the entire classroom in the palm of his hands that I just had to start taking piano. So I began studying piano and, and studying music and. 
And at the same time, the Beatles just came out. They just became popular. And, and I became just amazed at the power that someone could have in the palm of their hands. Now we have the Beatles, we have Thomas Edison, and then there was Disney. Uh, so the three of those became the inspiration for entertainment, invention, and a success beyond the scope of anything that anyone could ever hope and imagine that they could achieve. And that's what I set out to want to do. But now at the same time, I was learning about energy and learning about the problems we had with, quote, the Saudis and oil production and the fact that we spend our money on gasoline and then the money that we spend gets put into, uh, well, terrorism. Back in the 60s and 70s, it was clear that that's what they were doing with our money. So uh, it became my, my true dream, my goal in life, to invent something that would save the world, that would actually be the source of energy, that would, that would put America on its own footing energy-wise, and we would never have to buy gas or oil from Saudi Arabia again. Again, we had a, a crazy, wild, huge dream of a, of a young child who just didn't understand what he was trying to bite off, but I didn't care. I thought for sure I could invent, some, I could invent something. It would be a, a something-for-nothing machine where we could invent energy that would come from nothing. You know, and I started working on it in earnest. And uh, so uh, I went to college. I became an engineering student. Engineering was a very boring curriculum for me. And yes, through my entire childhood up to that point, I was taking things apart, putting them back together. I was learning about electronics. I was learning about music. Um, all of those things were just points on the page, um, you know, that just like Stephen Jobs said, you know, like you don't really know how it's all going to come together when it's happening. So I, um, I was studying all of these things, but dreaming of an energy solution that would save the world. And, uh, and I then, then between high school and college, I actually came up with a device on paper that I thought would create this, this energy source that would supply the whole world with energy at, at very little cost. Maintenance, but no energy input cost. So um, it, it's impossible that, to do that, but I believe that I had it on paper. You know, a something-for-nothing machine, something, they call it over-unity, that's actually physically impossible. But I didn't know that it was impossible. So I said, I, I took it to my physics professor, uh, my high school physics professor, who was very smart, and I said, what's wrong with this? you got to show me what's wrong with this design. Why won't this work? It can't work. According to every, everybody says it won't work. And I showed him the design, and he looked at it, and he says, Aaron, I think you got it. I think this is going to work. So I devoted. <laughs> so we became partners. I liked having a partner that believed in my work who was also an expert. So I started working that summer to build this something-for-nothing machine between high school and college. And, and I spent about three months building it. And when I got it finished, and I tried to crank it up and start it to producing energy, all of a sudden it became obvious why it would not work. I was trying to create energy where there was no energy source. And, and that obviously it doesn't work. work. But why didn't, why didn't I see it on paper? It it's because there was a formula, and I worked out what the formula was. Um, and when I showed it to my professor, and I said, here's why this doesn't work, he couldn't believe it. He says, no, no, where's all that force going? Where's all the energy going that, that we, we should have on paper? And I said, here's where it's going. Um, our formula is wrong. I was thinking that energy was equal to force. But no, work is equal to force times distance. And we're not going a far enough distance. So we're not getting out as much as we put in when you subtract the friction. So that's the short answer. And he was so 
so he, he did not. He was in such denial that we were not going to be wealthy. <laughs> I mean, he had already picked out his next wife, you know, <laughs> and we were not going to be wealthy from this thing. He was so in denial that I had to convince him and and to console him that this is not going to work. So, um, but I but I wasn't but I wasn't through. I just knew that that one wasn't going to work. So I got out of college as fast as I could. Uh, I, I even changed majors so that I could get an easy major. I, I majored in business, and I just decided, okay, just tell me how to run a business. I'll I'll figure everything else out. So I majored in business, and I graduated college when I was nineteen, and I started creative engineering. Although I didn't incorporate for another couple of years. So I graduated college in seventy three, incorporated in seventy five, and my product that I was going into business with was a, was a car that got 90 miles per gallon of gas. And it was a very awesome. s- simple design. It was a small engine. It was a very lightweight vehicle. It was more like a go-kart with a body. And, um, and everybody wanted it and needed it at that point because we were all standing in line for gasoline. You know, There's an energy crisis. That I, the Jimmy yeah, Carter that year. That's right. Everybody knew right. that we were running out of fuel. We were running out of gas. And we were told we only had another year of oil reserves left. That was it. And we were going to be, well, we are going to be out of oil. There would be no lights. There would be no electricity. There would be no refrigeration. There would be no cars. All of that was going to end in one year. And nobody had a solution for the problem. But the price of gas jumped up to a dollar a gallon right away. <laughs> and, Whoa! Yep, and um, it, was, it was like 30 cents, 50 cents a gallon. It, it doubled right away. And people had to wait in line. And depending on your license plate, whether it ended in an even number or an odd number, determined whether you could buy gas on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. Except for me. Since I pulled up to the gas pumps with my little... 90 mile per gallon vehicle you could get out with a one gallon can and jump the line so i was the only person in 1973 and 74 that didn't have to wait in line for gas and my car was written up in popular mechanics and it got a a bunch of other write-ups and all of a sudden i was off to the races except that i still needed money to start my company so i uh i invented invented something else and was selling it door-to-door hoping to raise the money to start my car company and while I was selling this product, it was a pool cleaning device, door to door. I knocked on a door of a guy named Paul Czar. I introduced myself as an inventor, and he asked me if I could build a control system for a shooting gallery. And to which I said, "Sure, I could do that. It's electronics. I can do that." And he brought me to his company, and they had produced these beautiful animatronic characters for a shooting gallery that they needed an electronic control system for. I took the job and built the control system, and they were also working on an animatronic horse that was amazing. Now, they got their background from Disney. They were spinoffs from Disney. So I started helping them with that. They ran out of money and didn't pay me. So out of revenge, I decided I would start building animatronics. Interesting. And that's when I got sidelined and didn't get back into energy until 2010. So for all of those years, I was dreaming about doing something in energy, but couldn't do it because I was so busy with animatronics, Showbiz Pizza Place, and all the oh, rest. Interesting. So your first animatronic show, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I started simply with a talking head with one moving mouth and a moving head. And oh wait, go back a little bit further, a talking rabbit that I performed at the airport for its its customer. Um, so they were very simple um, characters, much like the stuff that kids are building today, the, the hobbyists and experimenters are building today. Um, not really very good, but enough to get me started. 
And, um, and, but since I was the only one doing it, I got a lot of people who were interested. So in 1976, I took my talking head to the, um, to the International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions Convention, and I showed it off, and it got a lot a lot of interest. Uh, one guy, Jim Sidwell, who owned Magic World in Tennessee, asked me if I could build an entire bear, you know, instead of just a talking head. He, everybody wanted a talking bear like Disney had. So, yes, I can build you a talking bear. And I took the contract, and one guy came up to me, and this is how Whack-A-Mole was born. He came up to me and said, can you do a game that's like this other game that's down here on this other aisle? Can you do a game like that for me? And he took me over there to this game, and it was a lot like the whack-a-mole that I created. So really, I wasn't the inspired genius that came up with the idea of the whack-a-mole. I was basically a copycat. So I saw the, this game. It had holes, and things were popping out of the holes. And I don't remember what they were, but they, it didn't work very well. And the people who were selling it were Japanese, and they didn't speak English. So that's why this guy, Denny Denton, <laughs> came to me, and he says, Look, we can't even buy this thing, and it doesn't work anyway. Can you build something like it? So I, I just looked at it from the outside, and I said, yeah, I'll use air cylinders to pop the uh, characters up and down. Um, we'll make mallets uh, to hit them, just like that game. I'll come up with some kind of electronic scoring system and some way of, of making the things pop up and down, and I'll come up with a name for the game. And that's when I came up with the name Whack-A-Mole, and I worked on it for maybe only three months. It seems like that's all the time I worked on that game. And I sold it to this guy, Denny Denton. And so I was a little confused or unsure myself about the intellectual property rights of that game since basically I was kind of a... I was inspired. I wasn't really a copier because I didn't take their game and take it apart and build it like theirs. I was inspired by their game. Just like, for example, there's a lot of other whacking games now such as the Wacky Gator and the Wacky Ducks and the Wacky Spiders and all of those. Well, I was, I was really... I was really inspired by another whacking game and built that one for Denny Denton, the carnival operator. But I didn't know that I really should have, I should have held on to the intellectual property of my game. And Denny went and sold it to Bob's Space Racers. And he even sold my intellectual property, which he didn't own, to Bob's Space Racers. But I was already off to the races with bigger things and didn't care and didn't think that it was that big a deal anyway. So I let them go and I let them let them make the whack-a-mole, and I went on with Showbiz Pizza Place, and then Showbiz Pizza Place became the biggest customer of Bob's Space Racers, buying games and two whack-a-moles for every restaurant, which is kind of ironic. And that's how all of that came about. You were just about to tell us, well, you, you, you told us about your first animatronic, but you got sidetracked. So you, so you had somebody order a bear. Yeah, okay, so, so, so Jim Sidwell ordered a bear, a full singing bear, and, uh, and I br- built it, and it was a great bear. It, just, it was better than I even thought it was going to be. And then, uh, and then he, he, the next year he says, can you add two more characters to it? So it was a fox and a wolf. So we added two more characters, and then he, so then he had the Confederate Critter Band. At that point, we decided to build the Wolfpack 5. So the Wolfpack 5 was um, a group of animatronic characters that sang Shanana type music. It was oldies, doo-wop music. And that's when I met Burt Wilson, who helped me create the greatest track, the audio track, that really sold that group of characters. So it became clear that the that the characters having characters have to be good that's true but really the audio track has to be great so if the audio track is great and it's synchronized really really well to a great set of characters who look great okay so art is the next important 
part of it. So you have art, mechanics, and music. All three of those have to be great. And our Wolfpack 5 was all three of those. And it just turned, in 1978, we just set the industry on its head with the Wolfpack 5. Um, who loved it, and then that, that set us free to start making shows. We started making dozens of the Wolfpack Fives, the Hard Luck Bears, and then by that time, uh, we met Bob Brock, uh, where we started Showbiz Pizza Place, and he let me, um, he let me just take, take full reign to produce the Rocket Fire Explosion under the budget that he set forth. Now, where does the Hard Luck Bear Show come into this? Again, everybody wanted, all these, these amusement parks wanted Disney's Country Bear Jamboree Show. So what they wanted was a poor man's Country Bear Jamboree. So just like I was inspired by the Japanese pre-Whack-A-Mole game, I was inspired by Disney's uh, Country Bear Jamboree. In fact, just to be funny and to show that we know who we were copying, I called it the Bear Country Jubilee. Not to be confused with the Bear Country Jamboree, you know? Yeah. So, but we produced our own audio track. We didn't copy their characters' personalities or their looks or their tapes or their songs or any of that. We created our own bears. And, uh, and again, Sal, or we called him Sal back then, but it was Burt Wilson um, who helped me produce that show tape. Um, did such a great job producing that show tape that again it was it was memorable it was it was great from one end to the other and um, and it synchronized up well with our bear show so the hard luck bears came out in 1979 the wolfpack five and 78 and then we combined the two shows and threw in a few extra things to create the rock of fire explosion in 1980 wow and in the hard luck bear show wasn't there a character called Billy Wilbur yes there was and the correct pronunciation of that is Billy Wilbur <laughs> Did he eventually become Billy Bob then? That's right. Billy Wheelbur was the front lead singer of the of the Hard Luck Bears. He was he was kind of big and rotund like Billy Bob. He played a guitar like Billy Bob, and he had my Billy Bob voice. So that was my first uh, well, I actually did several other voices, but but the Billy Wilbur voice was the one that that really got me interested into staying with the performances, you know. And I, and I knew I had to stay with the performances. One of the reasons I wanted to be a voice performer for my own characters was because I didn't want to lose the ability to produce show tapes someday. And if you just hire people off the street to do your voices, someday you may lose the ability to produce those same voices on show tapes. And I didn't want to lose that. It was the most important thing in the world to me to keep the voices the same forever. Wow. And it was a great, um, it, it was a great pain to me to, uh, to lose the voice of Fats in 1995. Even though, even though we were no longer with Showbiz Pizza Place, I was still doing some occasional show tapes. Um, but I did lose the voice of Fats in 1995 when our, when our differences took us different directions. Bert's and my differences took us sure. different directions. Yeah. So... Wow. Okay. So you've sort of given us this great background, you know, creative engineering and you alternative energy sources, and then the Hard Luck Bear Show and the and the animatronics, and, and now the Rock of Fire explosion. Tell us how the Rock of Fire explosion and Showbiz Pizza. Uh, tell us. Uh, tell us what you loved about it, and maybe what you didn't. Okay. Um, let me let me fill in a gap uh, first, though, that I didn't get to tell you about. Yeah, absolutely. I. I I kind of allowed the Rockefeller explosion to run on self-auto mode or something for a while. I had a lot of employees, and, I, and all those 80 shows that were going out, I kind of let my staff put those out without my supervision to a, to a large extent because I devoted myself for 15 years 
to building the first email appliance. I believed that someday we were going to be all communicating with each other over a new medium called email. And I wanted to be the guy that brought it out and created it and brought it out. And the reason I thought it was so important was because I was trying to communicate with so many people and so many restaurants and so many other people. I had to make so many phone calls and had to have so many assistants making phone calls that I wanted to be able just to type a letter, push a button, and send it to everybody. So so I worked on this thing and yes. I called it the Anti-Gravity Freedom Machine. Okay also known as the AGFM. And I finally finished it, ready for the market, in 1997, which was right when the internet kicked and everybody had free email. <laughs> so, so the internet put me out of business. I still struggled for a couple of years to find a niche for my machine. But it was impossible. The internet was growing way too fast. The technology was advancing way too fast for me to keep up with. And I had to admit that, um, that the anti-gravity freedom machine would not give me my place alongside of Bill Gates. <laughs> so anyway, I, I wanted to fill that in because a lot of people don't know what I was really doing in all those years uh, between Showbiz Pizza Place and, say, the turn of the century. And that's what it was. Oh, that's, that's totally All right, awesome. So. All right, so back to Rockefeller Explosion today. Well, in 2010, yeah. I got my opportunity to get back into energy research. And that's where hydrillium came in. Hydrillium is the fuel. It's a very unique fuel that I'm still working with, but much more carefully, because in 2013, I accidentally blew up my warehouse. <laughs> okay, I have an interjection here, because I was in Florida visiting my, my cousin and his family. And I was watching the morning news and you came on TV and I was like, I know who that is. Hey. It was it had nothing to do with showbiz, really. I'm sorry, the Rockfire explosion. It had to do with hydrillium. Right. And th this was the second time you've been written up in popular mechanics, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, so when you saw that on TV, was that after the explosion? It was just after the explosion. All, everybody came to see me that day, <laughs> you know, because I was, I was quietly experimenting with this fuel. Now, I had a mentor. I had an expert who was guiding me through the dangerous stuff. In fact, the mentor is really the inventor of this gas, but he brought it to me to try and build a machine that would create this gas because every machine that he built to create the gas burned itself up. It was just way too hot. So I created a machine with about four years of research between 2010 and 2013, 2014. I created this machine that would produce this fuel called hydrillium. And I was amazed by the fuel, and I was looking for the opportunity again to set the world free with this fuel. And, and um, it, it looked like it was going to be a long, hard haul. But the first thing that, it, that the fuel could do better than anything else, and at a reasonably competitive price, was it made you could cook the most delicious steaks you've ever had in your life over hydrillium. And it was so amazing that I turned away from eating steaks at restaurants or cooking them over propane ever again because the hydrillium was, made the steaks so delicious. Um, so I figured that the best way for us to start our life in the energy world was as a designer cooking fuel. And I was actually cooking at a restaurant that very month and that very day that the building blew up. Now, when the building blew up, everything had to stop. You know, in fact, they sent robots in to get the bottles of gas uh, in the restaurant wow. and in my own shop. It was amazing. They had something like three or four fire engines out there in front of my building. They had eight or nine ambulances uh, to be there, and they had the cots out on the sidewalk. That's scary. 
Wow. Jeez. Yeah. He must have been horrified. The police were there. I, I ran to the building when I saw it on the news. I ran to the building. They, they had me under detention until they determined that there was no intention yeah. to blow anything up. There was yeah. no terrorism involved. Yeah. And it wasn't an insurance job, which they were easily convinced of when they found out I didn't have any insurance. Oops. And there was no intention to kill anybody. You know, so when, when they found out that it was innocent, then they started looking into everything else. Like, for example, had I broken any laws? Uh, had I even broken any code violations? And I was completely exonerated by everyone except Channel 9, who wanted to do an investigative report and pin me to the wall. But even Damn that, you, Channel even, 9! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but even Channel 9 ended up, ended up having to... Uh, eat their hat because um, sure. because the permit that they said I didn't have, I did have. So where were we? I, I don't remember where were we? if it was Channel 9 <laughs> that I was watching, but my our Channel 9 in, in the Twin Cities is Fox 9, but I don't know about, I can't remember what, what it is down for. It's ABC in Orlando, ABC affiliate. So my question then about that, the hydrillium, and I'm sure you've answered this before, but what else was in your warehouse when it blew up? Like it was, or did you First of all, note this, that the only, well, there was some damage done. It did blow, it did hurt the warehouse. The, the roof was destroyed. The, the floors were destroyed. It blew out a great big wall. Um, it blew out offices and it took down the insulation. I mean, there was a lot of construction damage. But, uh, and there was yeah. some damage to my equipment and characters, but not that much. And what's really funny is that the machine itself that makes the hydrillium was not damaged at all. And even the discs that, that, uh, that contained my source code to make, the, to make the gas, and I was using five and a quarter inch floppy disks still, uh, writing code on Apple IIe's, and none of those were even moved. So it was almost like the hand of God was all over this accident showing me what I was doing wrong, making sure that nobody got hurt, nobody lost anything except me. And uh, it was like, I knew that when you looked at what happened and you saw the damage in my building and you saw what got destroyed, nothing got destroyed that I couldn't live without. Well, that's good. I mean, that's really great. It's terrible that your building exploded. Yeah, it is. But, but you know, I, I, from the day one, from the first day that that building got blown up, I thought, okay, we've got to find the silver lining here. Uh, we've got to know why this happened, um, whatever this is. It, it, it was a blessing that it happened and that nobody got hurt because I was traveling all over the country with these bottles in my RV. I was demonstrating this fuel all the way from California yeah. to Las Vegas, Detroit, New York, um, all over the place. And, uh, and I always carried bottles of this gas with me everywhere I went. And so it could have, it could have happened anywhere. It could have happened in the restaurant. But it happened. Yeah. It happened at a moment that nobody was in the building. It demonstrated what was wrong with what was going on. And by the way, the mentor that I mentioned, the expert that I was hiring yeah. to uh, keep me yeah. from having an accident like this, he actually left me and he quit me just a few weeks before the explosion when I started reporting oh. some anomalies to him that would have indicated oh. that we were about to have that explosion. Oh. And I didn't understand oh. why he quit when he did. But after the explosion, I did some research on the internet and found out that he, Bill Richardson, had an exact explosion just like I had in his warehouse where he was experimenting with this gas back in 2001 or two. Wow. wow. And, and he didn't what? tell me about it. He didn't tell me that this was going to happen. He just 
he just left. And and I thought it was strange too because he was actually living in one of my rental houses rent free during the time that we were working together and he left that cushy arrangement of getting paid and living in a rental house for free right when I told him that a couple of my bottles had popped a leak. He says, oh, I'm, I'm out of here. I have a couple more questions about the Rockefeller explosion. All right, let's go. You have all these characters that you created and such a, a rich lineage. Tonight's episode is entitled Fab Night with Fector because the Five Nights at Freddy's franchise the series centers around a fictional restaurant named Freddy Fazbear's Pizza. Uh, it's obviously yeah. a tip of the hat to Showbiz or Chuck E. Cheese. And the characters that occupies those establishments look remarkably like the characters that you created. Obviously, were you honored or horrified when you first learned of this game series? Well, you know, it's funny. I get asked that question by fans all the time who are expecting me to be horrified. But I was honored. Um, I, I was very honored, and um, and I felt like that he had that what he did was fair. You know, remember I've been the I've been the um, victim of a lot of copyright. Uh, theft in my time. In fact, I see a couple of copyright thieves in our uh, in our in our in our chat. Here. Yes, oh, dang it. So I have been. <laughs> yes, you have, and I have. So I have been the victim of real bona fide copyright thieves. I admire someone who takes and and who is inspired by something and then does something different with it and does something better with it. So here this guy, uh, Scott Cawthon, he came up with his own characters. None of those characters are my characters, even though they might be inspired by them. My characters were inspired by Disney's characters, okay? So I'm not, and and some people look at my characters back in the old days and said, oh, that looks like the Country Bear Jamboree. So I mean, it, it's not, it's, he did not steal anything from me. He was inspired by what we did, and he followed his own dream and his own course, and he did something very creative, and, um, and he captured the imagination of a new generation of children. And you know what? It did wonders for the art form of animatronics that he did that, because now all these kids are coming to me obsessed with the Rockefeller Explosion who started with Five Nights at Freddy's. So they, they started with Five Nights at Freddy's. They did research on the internet. They found that there really was an animatronic rock group in the 80s. And they did research on it. And they found me. And a lot of them have actually left the fandom of Five Nights at Freddy's and are now involved in the fandom of the Rockefeller Explosion. So I have, I have Scott to thank for that. Although, I tell you, he really did corner the market. You know, the, the actual money that's being made is at Five Nights at Freddy's and not the Rockefeller Explosion. But that's okay. That's okay. I don't, I don't begrudge him that at all. Um, he's, he's a very smart guy, and he deserves his success. And I'm very happy for him. Hearing you talk about this, uh, like the inventions and the copyright, you handle it with a lot of grace uh, that you don't hear a lot of people uh, handle those situations with. It's kind of this matter of fact, like this is what's going on. Um, I did have somebody share a video with me that I thought was fascinating. Uh, you'll know who it came from. I don't know if he's in the chat right now. But uh, there's a great video of you of it at uh, IAPA in 2000, I think it was 2014, uh, talking to uh, uh, Bob, Sp- Bob Casada. Right. I, you know, <laughs> tell us something about that. I, I was kind of fascinated by you doing that and I, I kind of expected he sent it over to me I expected this kind of abrupt and confrontational and you just kind of a matter of fact went over and said hi this is who I am 
How are you? I mean, it was fascinating to me. What made you want to do that? Tell people about what happened. Well, it's it's kind of just a, it's an ongoing uh, joke that Bob's Space Racers is trying to tell the world. If you look at their website, they tell the world that they invented the whack-a-mole. But they bought it from Denny Denton, who, who really contracted me to build it. So the true story of the whack-a-mole is the story that I tell, and Bob Casada is telling this alternate version that seems to where the, the game began at Bob's Space Racers, which it didn't. So I'm trying to force, you know, like, I, I admit that Bob stole the game from me fair and square. Okay, that means I didn't sue him. I, so if I had sued him, I probably could have won something back, let's say in 78, 79, maybe even as late as 85. I probably could have won something. But I didn't do it because I had bigger fish to fry. And I didn't, wanna, I didn't want my life to be suing people. I didn't want, it to, have, I didn't want to have to do that with, with these very formative, creative years in my life. And I had so many more things that I thought were better anyway. I had no idea, really, the whack-a-mole was going to be so valuable. And really, I take my hat off to Bob for creating such a valuable intellectual property out of something that really I just made one of and sold it. But the only thing that I, I really want to deny Bob Casada is his, is his credit. He's the credit that he's claiming that he built the first whack-a-mole. If he would just tell the truth and say, okay, I bought the whack-a-mole from Denny Denton. Denny Denton hired Aaron Fector to build it. Aaron Fector built it and named it, and I took Aaron's name and I copyrighted it. But yeah, he, it was already called the whack-a-mole when I bought it from Denny. I mean, if he would just tell the truth about it, we'd be cool yeah. with each other. But he won't tell the truth about it, so I just wanted to confront him and let him know that um, I'm still young, <laughs> and I can still speak for myself, and I will still tell the story. Now, the reason that I chose that particular year to, to come out and make sure that the story was told is because I decided that I would start building new games, and I had a new game called Bashy Bug that I hope would be uh, the next whack-a-mole. And I'm, by the way, I haven't finished it yet because I had to work on other things, but the Bashy Bug was going to come out. And so I wanted to make sure that I had the street cred of the game called the Whack-A-Mole. All, all I wanted was the credit that I built the first one. Um, and, and, and now, of course, everybody knows it. It's, it's been popularized, and that was just one of the steps that I took to make sure everyone knows that I'm calling Bob Casada out on this. You're not going to get away with lying in front of me. And if, if I, I just want to face you with this. And then there was an there was an article written at the same time. I can't remember the name of the article at the moment or the writer, but he actually got Bob to admit in, in his interview that he did buy the game from Denny Denton. Oh. So that, that has now, so my story has now been proven out, proved out. I don't know if the correct um, word is, but it's been proven that I'm, I'm telling the truth and I have nothing to, to lie about or nothing to hide. And Bob Casada was lying all these years and still is by saying that, that, uh, that Bob Space Racers invented the whack-a-mole. It's just not true. And I just wanted to put that on and thought I'd do it in a fun way. You know, that video was just a fun way of, of calling him out because he's been avoiding me all these years. He wouldn't talk to me. He wouldn't even shake my hand. And if you notice, the first thing on that video was he came over to me and he says, hey, look, see, I'm shaking your hand. See, he was actually doing a little comedy because he saw the documentary where the extra footage in the documentary, I'm telling the same story about the whack-a-mole, and I said, Bob Casada, I won't even shake my hand when I go to the IAAPA. I walk up to him and he, he turns away from me like a guy who's afraid of a lawsuit. 
So, so he come over to me that time and he said, see, look, I'm shaking your hand. But then after we got into the details and I said, you've really done a great job, Bob. You've done a great job with my game. I, I, think, I think you deserve a lot of credit. And that's when he turned away from me, I think. And, um, and I was shouting out after him. <laughs> By the way, my girlfriend was handling the camera for me during that shoot. And, uh, and she thought he was kind of charming. <laughs> well, and, wow. and I got to say, like, you say you were shouting after him. I, I got to give credit to you. I mean, I, so I uh, engineer trained myself, and I've got a few inventions. Ironically, I actually use an invention that is a patent infringement of something that I did uh, back in the day from another company that the company I used to work for sued. Uh, very weird thing that happens uh, <laughs> almost once a month for me. But anyways... You know, a lot of inventors get very possessive about their stuff, and you have this very practical approach to it. Um, and I really, I mean, like you actually presented yourself, I, I would say, about as well as an inventor could, walking up to a person who took his idea and went with it. And I think one of the things you highlight, which I think a lot of uh, inventors miss, which is awesome, is you identify the fact that the invention is only part of the the problem, that the actual uh, monetization, making it popular, marketing it, and doing all that is also a huge, huge part of this. Um, yes, so, I mean, that's the um, biggest so I, part. You know, my, my hat's off to you for kind of like, take, I, I really, I kind of thought this would be an inflammatory video when it was sent over, and I was actually left it thinking, I'm really impressed with how that was handled overall. So, I mean, you know, really a lot of credit to you. Well, thank you. I'll try to remember that in the future as I go after more of these uh, these thieves. <laughs> nice. I, I really oh, I do. I would love. To, I would love to take the advice of one of the greatest men I ever knew, who said, "Aaron, just remember, leave them laughing." That's good. Nice. That is good. So I know you've got a no a hard stop pretty soon. So while we're at nine o'clock or ten Eastern, maybe we can get a couple more questions in here before we go. And, you, and I, we got to have you back on the show. I, it's just not enough time to talk about your entire life, Aaron. It just isn't. Okay, well, well, thanks. I've enjoyed it. I'll, I'll come back if you like. That'd be great. One of the things I'd really like to ask you about, and Mark, why didn't you ask this question? I think you you had this in the in the notes here. So, Oh, yes. So your characters, did you ever have a television pilot for a cartoon or a live action show or maybe a movie in mind? And if not, you know, what what did you think the future could bring? And, and maybe the future could bring that. Those, those are all dreams. Those and also having um, hit records on the on the top 40 are all dreams yeah. that we that we wanted to pursue uh, and we would would have pursued if we had the budget back in the early 80s and um, we weren't able to to connect on that now we did have some great people trying to make some inroads in that way um, and so I, I, I want to make sure that if they're listening that Ray Perrette and all the rest of you who, who helped or tried to get us a record deal or tried to get us a cartoon deal or, or a movie deal that we did have people trying to do that for us but we didn't have really the specific gravity for it we didn't have the momentum and we still don't but there's a possibility that it could still happen and I still believe it can happen because now here we are with a new generation of children who are writing and calling me all the time that are literally obsessed and their parents call me and tell me Aaron my child is obsessed that's all they talk about they want to come to Orlando and they don't even want to go to Disney they want to come and see your warehouse and they want to meet you yeah. so I'm trying to figure out how to bottle that you know because it's it's a very small percentage of the children out there but it's a very strong passionate obsessed group of children and I'm not sure how we'll do that but um, it, it may go that way still because 
um, it's it's coming back, and it won't come back the way it was, which was animatronic shows in a restaurant. That was never the best way to do it, but that did get us on the map, and now I'm looking for a way, and I'm building the brand, and that's another reason I'm, I'm, I'm trying to protect the, the intellectual property. It's not a dead intellectual property. It's a growing intellectual property, and, and I'm put, investing in it all the time. So when people try to take the intellectual property from me and use it for their own purposes, that's what I have to stop. People have to work with me as the creator of the Rockefeller Explosion and the owner of the intellectual property. And, uh, and it's so that we can do something with it, whether it's cartoons or movies. And I do want to I, I do, do a great movie. I do not want to do a crappy movie. You know, and I want to do a great movie. Um, so it's, uh, it is in the dreams. And I have gotten a few false starts, you know, where some kids have grown up who are animators and who have done a scene or two. And, um, sure. and they, they say, oh, I can do it, Aaron. We can do this together. And I'm like, okay, but somebody's going to need to come up with some money or you're going to have to, you know, you're not going to be able to do this. Nobody's going to be able yeah. to work for me for free. I know how much you want to do it, but it won't get off the ground. And that's really the truth. It hasn't gotten off the ground because, because the real world needs to run on money. So I am trying to make the money to do this, and that's where we're going to circle back around to the premium subscriber channel. If I can just get enough subscribers who I am working for to take my premium subscriber channel into the thousands instead of the hundreds, then we'll have enough money to invest in all of these ideas, and the Rockefeller Explosion will be off to the races again. Yes. Yeah, the Rockefeller Explosion, Showbiz Pete, all, all of us kids that grew up with with the band, there's been a resurgence in the love of the characters. I show everybody this video that you did a few years ago. Oh. But it has 1.2 million views, and it's Usher. Okay. And I, okay. You, you programmed that, didn't you? No, no, I'll have to disclaim that one. Um, that, that show, Love in This Club, I was actually programming it. I was inspired by Chris Thrash to and I chose that song to program and I was actually working on it when Chris surprised me and sent it to me a video of his programming of that show now that so uh, yeah so Chris Thrash programmed that show and Chris was a loyal fan who was torn between the good guys and the bad guys, and that's a whole nother episode, something else I'll have to bring up another time. That was one of the fan-produced videos that started the whole discussion of what people are allowed to do without oh. my permission. Interesting. And I, what I love about that, though, is that there was a, a, a big kick in the interest of the Rockfire explosion again after that. And uh, yeah. there was the documentary, uh, and then all the stuff that you've been working on and talking about, uh, it, there was even that rock fire band and you've been on or a bar rather. And, and the, although it's closed and I know there's another story behind that. Um, and sh right. shipping wars, you were on that. Right. And you know, uh, my five year gag order is almost up. I I've been promising my fans <laughs> that as soon as my five year gag orders up, I'm going to tell everybody everything, the truth about what yeah. really happened. I, What's the day? I have so many what questions we, about that. We should have an I'm episode. Put it in my calendar. Uh, yeah, let's. What, what, I don't know what, the day, but it's November. We're gonna have you on in November. <laughs> That's the second show. Done. Yeah, yeah I'm. Done. I'm gonna go ahead and start collecting my notes now because November's coming fast. Sweet. You'll be. You'll be on season four then. Also, that'd be great. Okay. Yes. Uh, but yeah. So the documentary and 
Were you making animatronic kits for the kids these days too? Yes, because I believe that where this is all headed is it's it's really neat where I really think this is headed. I believe that that in the very near future that children and fathers and mothers, they're going to be working on animatronics as home projects. That's the new hobby, is building an animatronic character of your very own. It appeals to everybody, boys and girls. It's got everything in it sure. that they need. Music, electronics, mask making, sculpture, art, um, everything that, that you would want, including video production, because you have to be able to produce videos if you want to share your yeah. work with the world. So, so the Animatronic Experimenters Kit is my first attempt to sort of... Um, uh, to sort of collect all of the technologies together that you need to know to take off and create your own character. That's that's perfect. So, we've, you know, obviously we've taken enough of your time tonight, but I want to just say we're honored to have you on the show and really appreciate you spending time with us. Thank you. Um, I'm honored to be on your show. But why don't you, uh, for the young listeners out there and the listeners that are adults, why don't you give us some final thoughts about uh, ingenuity and engineering and inventing things? All right. Well, I believe that, uh, that your imagination and your heart are the things that give you your soul and the things that you should follow in life if you want to be happy and have a good time. Uh, you should always try to be honest on everything except possibly insurance applications. Yes. <laughs> Stay out of debt. Don't let your credit cards roll over from month to month. I've been debt-free since I was a teenager. And I want to tell you, that's the way to survive your ups and downs in life is to be debt-free. You know, I'm starting to sound like Dave Ramsey, but I'm going to tell you, man, being debt-free allows you to be able to follow your dreams. And also exercise. Be sure and exercise. Walk a lot, run a lot, because you know what? If you're enjoying your life, you don't want to die. So there you go. There's my, there's my philosophy. <laughs> I love it. Well, thanks awesome. again for, for being on the show, guys. Do uh, you have any final thoughts for Aaron as we go? Just really want to thank you for being on the show. It's been a pleasure hearing about you and all your inventions. Look forward to hearing from you in November. I want to yes. know the date. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Thank you. Uh, yes. Th yeah, definitely looking forward to our sequel uh, meetup. <laughs> Great. Okay, so let's stay in touch and we'll do it. All right, yes. well, stick with us after the outro, Aaron, and we will uh, we'll say goodbye to you informally off the air. So here we go, guys. This is the end of the show. This is the part of the show where we talk about... Thanks for listening in on the Double R's. That's Arcade Radio. Oh, and I missed mine. Oh, all the cues, all the cues. Like us on Facebook at Arcade Radio. Check out the semi-regularly updated blog at ArcadeRadio.com. That's R-C-A-D-E-R-A-D-I-O.com. Hey, and call and leave comments and questions on the game line. Nobody ever calls. 612-548-GAME. That's 4263. You, know, you, you could text that line, too. 612-548-GAME. You can text it during the show, even. Follow us on text. Twitter. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter for updates on our latest shenanigans. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and click the notification bell so you know when we're streaming live. You can also subscribe to our podcast on Anchor FM, iTunes, Google Music, playing almost everywhere podcasts live. That's going to be it for the show from Arcade Radio. We hope you had a great time and we'll see you on the next episode.
not me. Thank you so much for being on the show, Aaron. It was really good to hear You're all welcome. those stories, and we really appreciate you being on. So. Amazing stories. You're very welcome. Thank you. And enjoy yeah, the launch. Yeah. I'm sorry, what'd you say? You say something about a launch tonight? Oh, yeah, it's at 1030. Um, you can see it from my backyard. So uh, Cape Canaveral is 60, is 60 miles, miles uh, to the east. This is one of the SpaceX launches? Yes. Yeah, good old right. Elon Musk. Now, there's a guy. Can you get him on your show? <laughs> That'd be so fun. <laughs> I, don't know how, I don't know how he'd relate it to arcade stuff, but we... Well, well actually, be into it. He has a He's bunch of arcade games in the, in the Tesla. Well, we could probably get Jonathan Taylor on the show. That'd be fun. When I see people like Elon Musk, you know, or, um, you know, Steve Jobs, you know, and all these really great, successful people, you know, I wonder why, you know, I'm, I'm still honored to get to do the things that you asked me to do tonight, because those are the guys yeah. that I think are just way beyond amazing. And, um, and, and, and I don't hold a candle to those guys. Well, no, you you do. You're just not you're just not yet recognized. We just gotta like get you out there. <laughs> I I I feel like uh, I feel like I've known you for a long time, uh, but that's be just just because I kind of follow what you do. A lot Thanks. of those guys, it's it's time and place. I mean, you were sitting there conceiving email before email exists, right? You know, it's just I, I mean that's phenomenal. And I mean your your insight on things, your your contributions, how you've approached things. Um, those guys, they're smart, but I mean, part of it is they're smart, right place, right time. They persevered and they caught a few breaks that shoved them up uh, a chain that was amazing. They had to be qualified to be there, but you know, I mean, you clearly have done some things that if the right break, the right time had come to you, um, you'd be standing there right alongside them on a number of things. So it's, it's pretty amazing. Some of the stories you have. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that happened for me that was kind of dangerous is that my uh, showbiz pizza place days, I only had one customer and that was showbiz pizza place. So it, it, it wasn't like, for example, this, this great invention that Elon Musk came out with, which was PayPal. I mean, all of a sudden he was, uh, he had thousands of people paying him money. I only had one person, single payer. <laughs> That's all I had, single payer. So, so when they decided to stop paying, I'm sorry. It's hindsight. I mean, and then wow. also yeah. you've got people like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates maybe made some questionable decisions to get where they, <laughs> they got yeah. to. Oops, what's that? Oh, that's my... Uh, well, go enjoy the right. launch, and really, thanks for being on the show. Thanks again, Aaron. Well, thank you very thank much. You. Yeah, that's my that's my 15-minute launch warning, but I, I sure appreciate it. It's been nice okay. meeting you guys, and we'll be talking awesome. in the future. Yeah, that's good. Talk to you later. Okay. Later. Good night. Good night. That guy was great. Well done, sir. Holy moly. Yeah. That was a fun show. Definitely. I yeah. love that we did got to do like something fun with the music and the guest. So it he, was great. He honestly has it really has the best view I've ever heard out of somebody with a like invention that had some infringement on it or something. I mean, he has, his whole approach is just kind of like it's happening, don't like it. But he's just ridiculously realistic about it. Right, right. I mean, the, the people that I've seen that have had what happened to him happen are like pissed off and like get stuck in it, but he just kept moving. That, that in and of itself is an inspiration.